Williams wide left, Crabtree slot left, Gore goes slot right, empty backfield, shotgun Smith, Saints bring extra man, Alex going to boot to his left and run, he's going to run it 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown, do you believe it? The play of dreams! Welcome to Fourth and Gold Podcast. We are back with another midweek episode. This is uh, a preseason primer. Uh, the 49ers open camp in the next couple days, and we have a special guest today from Niners Wire, our guy Kyle Madsen. Uh, but as usual, Matt is here with us. What's going on, Matt? Hey, what's going on, Javier? <laughs> good start, man. I really come out of the gate swinging here today. Too many, How you doing, Javier? I'm good. I'm good, man. It's hot. It's, um, I'm tired. Doing a lot of housework. Painting and my kids won't leave me the hell alone. So yeah, I'm 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 doing all right. <laughs> yeah, so so like you said, we got we got Kyle Madsen in with us. So Candlestick Chronicles podcast, Chris Biederman, Niners Wire, Kyle Madsen, introduce yourself, man. How you doing? Hey, how's it going, guys? Uh, I think you pretty much nailed it. That that consumes most of my life. Uh, Niners Wire and Candlestick Chronicles and. That's uh, and then I do morning radio here in Sacramento on Sports 1140 KHK. Right on. <laughs> well, you can catch the Fourth and Gold podcast on all uh, podcast platforms: Apple, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are found, or just follow the podcast on Twitter at Fourth and Gold Podcast. Uh, so, like I said a little bit ago, the we're here to talk about 49ers training camp. It is it's upon us. The season is almost here. How are we feeling, Kyle? How are you feeling about this training camp? What what are you most excited about it's going to be interesting because i think the niners are in a unique spot that they haven't been in in quite a while in that they have established starters at so many spots and it feels like the last couple of years there have been real battles at some important positions and Mm -hmm. that's going to be the case especially when you look at the secondary but they're set at quarterback their receiving core is as deep as it's been in in quite some time they bring back their entire starting offensive line their linebacking core should be good they fix their they fix their biggest hole on the defensive line on the edge so this will be it's it's going to be a fun camp because i think it's going to be the most competitive from a from a standpoint of of i think it's going to be the most competitive from a standpoint of having high-end talent. They're going to have more high-end talent that they've had in, in quite some time. And then when you do look at the roster battles that are going to go on, I think those are going to be fascinating too. Yeah, I think this is the first year where Shanahan and Lynch have to make like some actually tough cuts. Like guys that finally get cut off this team. It's, it's like going back to the Harbaugh years. You know, you're going to see guys that get cut off this team that aren't going to make it to the practice squad, that are going to get signed by other teams, the 31 other teams. And we haven't had that since Cal Shanahan took over. So I'm super excited for it, too. Yeah, and that's that's something that we were talking a little bit about before the podcast is the Niners are going to have to cut players who are who are good. Yeah. And that's new. That's brand new. It's not it's not so much figuring out which 53 guys, you know, should be on an NFL roster. It's like which handful of guys can't be on the team, even though they probably could be or should be. 
So, I, and I think that bodes well for San Francisco. It means that they've accumulated some talent, which they desperately needed to do after after 2016. And I don't know if they're going to make the playoffs this year, but they're trending in the right direction, which I think is is a positive for a team that was for so long going in the wrong direction. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. It's it's the deepest it's been uh, since Kyle and, and John took over. Um, you know, to add on to that, the, the running back room is super deep. Wide receivers, like you mentioned, it's, it's probably the most talent he's had on his team in quite some time. Um, you know, I'm I'm getting pretty excited. Um, where do we where do we want to start? We want to start with best battles going into this camp. What what do you what are you thinking? Um, what's the most what's the best battle to watch right now? I'm really excited to watch the the battle for safety yeah. spots because it's the most wide open. I mean, there's there's several guys between Jimmy Ward and Jaquaski Tart and Anton Exum and Marcel Harris, possibly Tavarius Moore if he sticks at safety and he had a really good offseason program there moving from cornerback. There there are so many names at that at that position. Adrian Colbert, who could conceivably start. We just haven't seen anyone play at a high level for sixteen games, partially due to injuries, mm-hmm. partially due to inconsistent play. So I'm really excited to see if competition helps that group grow into a starting caliber NFL duo, whichever pair it is. And because of the way they changed their safety alignments this year, there's not going to be that vast discrepancy between the single high safety and and the the in-the-box safety, which I think opens the door a little bit on that competition. So I'm really excited to see which two players step up there because it could really have a huge impact on on their, their entire defense. Yeah, I know we've been here fourth and gold podcast. I mean, we, I know we've been pushing for Tavares Moore to move back to safety since like before the draft, and that's yeah. something we've really wanted to see. And it was nice to see him at OTAs, you know, step into that role and really start to play very well. Um, at least you know OTAs, as as Javi calls it, the underwear Olympics, where you know you're not really wearing a uniform uh-huh. and stuff, and you're just running around with a helmet and t-shirt on. Um, I so I, I agree with you the the opening up of the safety positions. It, you can pretty much pair any two guys back there now. You don't, like you said, you don't need to have the single high anymore. You don't need to have the in the box. And I think that plays to the strength of the safeties they have because they got a lot of guys with mm-hmm. a mix of skills yeah. where you're looking at guys that could play either one, maybe not perfectly suited for single high or, you know, in the box, but possess a combination of those skills. Yeah, I think, I think that's right. And I think that'll help when when figuring out who the two starters are there and i think it's i think it's ultimately just going to help them be better they tried to be the seahawks they tried to run the same defense that seattle ran but seattle could do what they did and line up mano a mano and say this is what we're going to do come try and beat us because they were stacked they had so many really good players the niners don't have that there's gonna it's gonna require some form of of deception on the defensive side to to help them win and the fact that they recognized that this offseason, I think, was a pretty big deal because they seemed really committed to that Seahawks-style defense. But the fact they're going away from that lets me know they at least recognize some of their deficiencies on the defensive side. And hopefully, they seeked out to, to fix those things, both personnel-wise and through through their defensive alignment. Yeah, with you know, the Niners, they try to do that whole Seahawk thing. And I think some people missing miss out or don't even mention what the Seahawks had with their linebacking core too, you know, with KJ Wright, mm-hmm. Malcolm Smith, you know, he's a Niner now, but you know, five years ago, Malcolm Smith was much better. <laughs> um, and Bobby Wagner. So, you know, the Niners are still trying to 
replicate that Seahawks defense and didn't have the safeties to do it, and they didn't have the linebackers to do it either to help out in coverage. So I think the addition of Quan and second year of um, Fred Warner is also going to help there. But the safety, you know, I, I can't I can't agree anymore. You know, we have there's six guys there that can play potentially both safety spots, and they're looking at that cover two versus the single high. Uh, I'm pretty excited about that competition. Personally, I'd, I'd like to see the combination of Colbert and, and Tart back there, yeah. um, and you know Jimmy Ward in a pinch, and the rest of them, you know, as your depth pieces. I think the other thing that's going to be really interesting is on the other side at receiver, because it feels like they have the opposite problem in that I think they have six or seven guys who you can kind of circle and say, hey, these guys are going to make the team. I think they're going to have to cut a really couple of really good players, but then. Outside of that, who starts, who gets a majority of the targets, uh, I think that's super up in the air. So while I don't think there's as much of a battle for a roster for roster spots at that position, although there certainly will be at the bottom end when you look at Jordan Matthews and Richie James and Trent Taylor and Kendrick yeah. Bourne, I think there's, there's probably two spots for those four guys. Mm-hmm. And that battle will be fascinating. And then the battle for depth chart spots. And, and earning playing time is going to be really interesting to me as well. Yeah, the wide receiver matchup is actually one of my favorites just because there is such a high level of play uh, for the top, you know, like you said, seven mm-hmm. spots, seven, eight spots. And, and I, I do agree with you. I think it's going to come down to two spots between Trent, Kendrick Bourne, Richie James, and Jordan Matthews. The way I view Jordan Matthews is I believe he's kind of an insurance policy for Jalen Hurd. And I think if Jalen Hurd comes around and develops quickly – I think they're going to move on from Jordan Matthews because they're just going to let Jalen Hurd play the big slot. Um, and then, again, it comes down to, you know, Richie James, Trent Taylor. Richie James may be a little bit more upside when it comes to playmaking ability and in a return game. But Trent Taylor, you know, when healthy, we saw him in 2017. You know, he never met a third down. He didn't love. So yeah, it, it'd yeah. be interesting to see how that breaks down. I, I What you said about Matthews is interesting because when he first signed, uh, Chris Biederman, who hosts the Candlestick Chronicles pod, was like, he's like Jeremiah Tauchu. He's, uh, he's going to get cut. He's just kind of a veteran guy to come in. I think he's done. The Patriots cut him because of a hamstring injury, and then he hasn't been very good since his first three years. But Kyle Shanahan talked a lot this offseason about versatility from his receivers and having receivers who could play multiple positions to take kind of some of the onus off of off of one guy to do everything in the offense. Mm-hmm. And I think Jordan Matthews can play multiple spots. Like, yeah, he can thrive out of the slot for sure, but he's really good in the red zone. I think he can play um, both the X and Z spots effectively, and he has a lot of size, which Kyle Shanahan doesn't necessarily covet, but I think it helps for sure. So that's where I'm really interested to see him because I think you're probably right. If he can only play in the slot, I think Matthews probably doesn't make the team. Mm -hmm. But if he shows that he can play multiple spots and give them snaps at, at two or three spots throughout the game, I think that's where that's where he becomes really valuable for them because I'm not certain how many guys they have who can do everything. Yeah. With the, with the herd thing, it's all going to be dependent on Jalen Hurd's health too. They can put him on, pup list and have him sit out for six weeks and you have that insurance policy with Matthews or if you just want to keep a Kendrick Bourne instead um I'm I'm leaning more towards Kendrick Bourne staying on the team younger he's been in the system two years now going on his third um 
Richie James, I'm on the side of hope, hoping Richie James make this team, but at what cost? You know what I mean? You, you lose a Trent Taylor mm-hmm. to keep Richie James because he gives you a little bit more special teams versatility. Um, Richie James' college tape at Middle Tennessee was amazing. You know, they, they referred to him as, you know, yeah. uh, the next AB because he's, so, he's smaller, he's fast, he's shifty. He plays all three wide receiver spots, or he can play all three wide receiver spots. So he provides you with some more versatility there. Um, but, you know, Kyle said it. <clears throat> excuse me. Kyle said it's gonna be, you know, we're gonna have, we're gonna be losing professional players. They, they're gonna be on, they're gonna end up on somebody else's team, and um, Richie James will be on someone else's team if he's not on the Niners. Richie James is definitely gonna catch like two touchdowns in the Super Bowl for the Patriots, right? <laughs> like, that's just happening. Like that feels like a thing. Yeah, yeah that's that's <laughs> actually the most spot on, spot on thing about heard. I think I've heard about Richie James all off season. Is he's he's yeah, exactly he's, he's like the Bruce Ellington. They never really caught on, and then he goes on to play for a more like like a better offensive team, which is gonna be hard to beat this year with the talent they're bringing in. But you know, just never really catches on in San Francisco, and then goes on to like Bruce Ellington was like third in the league at one point last year in touchdown catches. Yeah, and I could I could absolutely see that because like Javi said, Richie James's uh, college tape was really really good, and and during during that during that draft, uh, I used to I used to cover the Titans. And I was I was doing Titans at that time, and he went to Middle Tennessee State. The Titans need a receiver. I'm like, why are they not <laughs> picking up Richie James? Like this guy, this guy's a monster. And I know that durability was a concern, but mm-hmm. he kind of shook those concerns last year. He was he was healthy for all 16 games. I'm I'm fully on board. The Richie James can be a productive NFL receiver bandwagon. Yeah. I just don't think it's going to wind up being in San Francisco, at least going into camp. Maybe something happens in training camp and he, he really breaks out and, and carves out a significant role. I just, I just don't see that happening based on what we saw last year where they, they needed a receiver to step up a, a pass catcher outside of George Kittle to emerge as like a, any kind of a go-to threat. And James could barely earn snaps mm-hmm. and that, that doesn't yep. bode well for his future for me. That's exactly where I'm at too. Um, his nine catches in 13 games with a receiving core that at one point was down Dante Pettis was down Pierre Garçon and down, you know, Mark Marquis Goodwin all at the same time. And pretty much they could have thrown anybody out there at receiver and Richie James couldn't make an impact. So, I mean, right. hopefully, you know, I don't root against any of these guys cause I don't want them to be bad. It just, as it stands right now, I think he's on the outside looking in and I don't think that one kickoff against Seattle saves his roster spot. No, but a bunch of really effective kickoffs in camp yeah. could for sure. He just he has to he has to show that he can do something other than return kicks and sometimes play in the slot. Like he needs to be a regular slot option, a kick return option, and be able to give them some snaps outside. I mean, if that he just he he can't. If if you go back to that Raiders game, that was his breakout game, and you saw he has that explosive run after the catch ability. He broke away. And almost took it to the house uh, against the Raiders. And then wasn't it that that what is it wasn't it the the Cowboys preseason game? He caught the winning touchdown. He was pretty much the main. Yeah, for Nick he was pretty much the main target that entire second half. So I mean, he showed some flashes. It's just a matter of, you know, some guys take a little bit longer to develop. Second year wide receivers usually take a bigger jump. And he was a seventh round pick. He's a little bit smaller. Um, I'm making the case to keep him on the team. I, I, I'd, like you said, I'd rather have not see him catch two touchdowns for the Patriots in the Super Bowl. I, I'd be so pissed off. Right. Um, but you know, it's it's <laughs> the Niners have a good problem with their wide receiver room. 
Um, we thought this last year, going into last year, but then the injuries caught up to them. But I think the Niners are far more healthy this time this time around. Um, you know, and they have a, lot, a little bit more depth there. Um, you know, with Pettis, you still got Debo, you got Hurd, you got Goodwin, and then you you know, of course, you have your insurance policy with Jordan Matthews, Trent Taylor, you know, Richie James, or, or you know, Jordan Matthews down the road, and even. The undrafted guys uh, have shown shown some stuff from what I've seen and, and read about. So the, I think they have a really good problem to have, and there's going to be some, some guys getting cut on this team that's going to be making an impact somewhere else. Yeah, I think you're right. So we can move on from, from the the wide receivers, and now we can go to the offensive line. And like you said in, in the first part you're talking about, Kyle, um, you know, the, the five starters are back. And really the only position that may be up for grabs – uh, his person spot because they brought him back, but they didn't pay him like a starter. You know, they gave him kind of a backup, you know, contract when it comes to money. Yeah. Um, and there's there's three guys kind of battling for that spot. So you're looking at it, Mike Person, who's the incumbent. You know, someone's got to show him up and, and beat him out. You got Josh Garnett, who's a you know the former first round pick, but he's a Trent Balky pick, so he comes from the last regime. And then you got Ross Reynolds. You know, this undrafted free agent coming out of Iowa, Big Ten football. We've seen a lot of good stuff from Iowa football in the last, you know, five years. Who do you think makes the biggest impact at that, you know, that right guard spot? I think it's probably person again, just because his familiarity with the offense and running the ball is so important in Shanahan's offense. I'm not sure. A, it's so hard to bank on an undrafted rookie like Ross Reynolds. I'm I'm with you that I think Reynolds can play a little bit, but banking on an undrafted guy going into camp is is typically pretty tough Mm -hmm. the the other thing is is as i mentioned the familiarity with the offense you're wanting him to come in play at a high level him being reynolds come in play at a high level and grasp the offense entirely right away which isn't necessarily super easy we saw mike mcglinchy do it last year but um i i'm i'm definitely keeping my eye on reynolds but he's not somebody i I expect to emerge as a starter this year uh, I, I have him making the team. I'm just I'm uncertain he's going to unseat person after person was you know really solid last year. I think if they wanted to replace him, they would have spent a high draft pick there. But if they can get just kind of average play from him with McGlinchey stepping up, I think that right side of the line is fine. Garnett is is again like is is he just kind of the player he is, and he's a reserve guard uh, who's never going to be able to start. Uh, that I'm I'm intrigued to see because I think he might have earned some starts last year if he hadn't been hurt, but we obviously don't know. Uh, ben yeah. Garland is another guy I'm really interested in. Maybe not to start, but I think he winds up sticking around on the team because he can play like all three spots on the on the interior of the offensive line, and that kind of versatility and somebody who can play effectively at multiple spots is somebody who's who's going to stick around especially after watching last year with so many injuries mm-hmm. on the offensive front and guys playing through injury i think that was mostly out of necessity because they just didn't have any sort of depth yeah. there so i think person winds up starting but i think their depth is a little more quality and if if he slips up at all i expect somebody whether it's garland or garnett or or even reynolds to step into his place if if he does stumble. yeah i, mean, I think the niners are, i think this is this is it for Garnett. This is this camp. He has to show something. Um, yeah. You know, you're your first round pick. No, no fault of his own. You know, Balky moved back into the first round to get him. We all know that. <laughs> you saying it's not his fault? He was drafted in the first round. It's not his fault. <laughs> I mean, it's the same thing. With, we'll get to Solomon Thomas. You you know you can't control where you're drafted. Most people had Garnett as a late second round pick, and he you know he was overdrafted, and 
you know, you're, you're paying a guy, what, $9.5 million or whatever it is to just sit the bench. And it's it's um something where Kyle and the front office have to make a decision with, with Garnett, and he has to show something this offseason. Um, I, like I like the Ben Garland acquisition, and I do want to see the Ross Reynolds versus Garnett competition. I'm, I'm all about Big Ten football. Um, offensive linemen going into the league, you know, they usually do pretty well, and Iowa is, has a uh, track record of, you know, producing them. Ross Reynolds was a 15th ranked uh, pass block or run blocking offensive guard in college football last year, so I, I have no problem with him be making this roster. So I, I like the competition there. Yeah, and they they needed competition at those spots, uh, and they 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 went and added it. They brought in a ton of offensive linemen. I'm not sure how many stick around, but. Reynolds is definitely a guy like I, I expect him to I feel like every year I don't know about you guys but it feels like every year there's like one or two undrafted mm-hmm. guys that people really latch on to mm-hmm. and and really want to succeed I think that's going to wind up being Reynolds I think he's gonna uh, I, I imagine him like maybe getting some first team reps pretty early in camp and then uh, maybe really dominating a preseason game. Um, I, I, I could I could definitely see that from from him this year because yeah I wrote a piece for Webzone. Um, right after the draft and my dark horse to start was Ross Reynolds <laughs> and just sure, like yeah. I've latched on to him and this is my guy um, because the guard position isn't super strong for the Niners but that's also partly because Shanahan doesn't value guards like he values a center and like he values tackles and it's just kind of yeah. how his offense operates and you know going back to Garnett I think the only time I've seen Shanahan in in a press conference where he looked visibly upset with a player was last year during training camp with Garnett. And, you know, he was mad that he wasn't healthy and he wasn't getting on the field and he felt like he wasn't doing enough. Like he felt like he was hurt and not injured. And, you know, there's always a difference between, you know, you can play through being hurt and you can't play through being injured. And I think we, I think we saw that from Shanahan for the first time last year. So I think Shanahan or not Shanahan, I think uh, Garnett is on his last leg here. And I'm with you. I like the Garland. I like the Garland acquisition. He played for Shanahan in Atlanta. So some familiarity with the system as well. Uh, yeah, they, they, the, um, I just, I, I don't know if there's, if there's anyone who's going to come in and, and unseat Mike person. But on the other hand, I could certainly foresee him taking a step back because last year was his first as a full-time starter. And I think it was his sixth year in the league, seventh year in the league. And he just cracked a starting lineup for the first time for a full season. So mm-hmm. it wouldn't super surprise me if he wound up regressing. It's uh, it's, it's going to be interesting to watch that guard, the guard battle, you know, and Lakin's coming back from an, what was an MCL partial tear in the MCL. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you still got, um, what's, it's blanking here. Witchberg's coming back from you know he's recovering from an injury too, so the interior offensive line competition is gonna be pretty pretty intense. Um, something that I wanted to just a quick question here. There's a linebacker available now in free agency, Mason Foster. Do the Niners take a gander? Just poke that one and see if that's an option, considering. Quan may not be ready for the season. Dre Greenlaw is a little bit undersized. Do we know what Malcolm Smith is going to provide? Elijah Lee. Do we? Do you think they take a uh, a shot on Mason Foster? Uh, probably not. I think they're pretty high on Elijah Lee and like what he offered last year when when he was thrown into a starting role. And I think that Dre Greenlaw might actually be pretty good. 
I do too. Um, I the the fact that they went to the wide nine and moved that that strong side linebacker into a more normal linebacker depth means that a player like Greenlaw can step in and and fill that spot. And I think his athleticism would be would be huge in coverage. Um, so I think I think there's going to be a legitimate battle between Greenlaw and Lee for the for the starting Sam spot. And then of course if if uh, if Alexander can't start the year because of that because of that ACL, I think both Lee and Greenlaw uh, start until he gets back. So I don't I, I think they're probably pretty comfortable with where they're at uh, in the in the linebacking core, especially with Fred Warner in the middle. He was so good last year, and mm-hmm. I think. They they paid Quan Alexander to be a to be a starting caliber guy. Obviously, they they made him the highest paid linebacker in the league when they when they when they did pay him, and then they went out and, and drafted Greenlaw in the fifth round. They they resigned Elijah Lee, although he was a uh, exclusive rights free agent, so uh, he was he was definitely coming back. Uh, and then David Mayo, they went and signed the, the former Panthers linebacker. So I think they like their depth there, and I, I don't. I don't foresee them going out and, and adding a 30-year-old veteran like Foster. That's fair. So That's speaking fair. of David Mayo, um, so there's there's you know kind of three linebackers left out of that group, and it's David Mayo, Mark Nzacha, and Malcolm Smith. We saw Nzacha last year be a really core special teams guy. And Mayo is known for being a core special teams guy too. So do you see two of those three guys making it? Because I think Malcolm Smith is finally done in San Francisco. I believe they can move on from for like a million and a half, which is, you know, jump change in the NFL. Yeah, right. So I think this is Malcolm Smith's last training camp. I think he's done. Do they keep both Mayo and Inzacha? Um, No, I think I, I'm trying to remember my last roster projection. I think I only had Inzacha on the team. Uh, although I could see them trying to play Inzacha in, in some sub packages and and having Mayo be like an exclusively uh, a special teams guy, but I'm I'm totally with you on on Malcolm Smith. He he looked in the off season program like he was still dealing with with that Achilles injury and just kind of some other just some other ailments. Like he he would just you know sit out a few plays and then try and step back in. And then he'd be back out. And the the Niners are trying to get younger and and more athletic. And somebody like Malcolm Smith, who's a who's a veteran who's been dealing with injuries since he arrived in San Francisco. I just can't mm-hmm. imagine, even with his roster restructure, I can't imagine that that they they wind up keeping him with that log jam at, at that spot. So you were actually at OTAs? Uh, no. Okay, no, okay. Uh, no, I, I don't travel there from, from Sacramento, but uh, from what I've heard from people who were there, um, he, he did not look great. Okay. Uh, during the off-season program. Okay. You know, we there was a little spat between me and a certain writer in the in the Bay Area, and he asked oh, if God. I was at OTAs, and it was a whole it was a whole thing. We had an episode that ah, was nicely yes. titled "We weren't at OTAs," just so everybody knew. Yeah. Um, no. no I, was, <laughs> I, did, I I don't. It, it's it's probably like a with no traffic. It's like a almost two hour drive to get down to Santa Clara. Oof. So I, I don't make that round trip um, for for OTAs. I don't blame you. It's a long ride. I've been. It's. Um. I have buddies in Sacramento who make the trip, every home game. So I'm like, you're nuts. But it's brutal, man. Yeah, I believe it. Um. The, the big one. I guess the biggest thing to watch this preseason or this, pre. Yeah, this preseason is. 
do we is is Jimmy Garoppolo going to play? Are the Niners going to take the Rams formula and not play any starters, or are they going to let Jimmy get some live bullets this preseason? Because that's that's the biggest thing with me. Like, yeah, Jimmy can get his his snaps against his own team, but you know, getting live bullets from another team, different looks. I know it's very vanilla in the preseason, but it's you know, getting that game speed back. Um, you think the Niners are going to take the chance to let him play a couple series? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm I'm a little bit torn because I completely see the logic of just don't play him at all. Yeah. Just make sure he's fully healthy for week one. Week one is what matters. But at the same time, you don't want the first time he's dropping back against competition in a live game to be week one against Tampa Bay. Right. I, 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 I'm, I'm more on that side. I don't think he plays week one. Or week two, uh, oddly enough, their third preseason game is in Kansas City, the site of where he got know. hurt. Mm. That's that's normally, you know, you, as you guys know, that's normally the dress rehearsal, uh, yep. you know, most realistic preseason game where starters play a half, sometimes more. I could see Garoppolo stepping in there and not playing the whole first half, but definitely getting a series or two just to kind of get his feet wet. I I. I don't imagine they'll they'll do anything super fancy just more get him some snaps try and get him some throws and 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 see opposing pass rushers in his face he'll get that a little bit when they when they have their their joint practice in denver but it's just it's different in a game scenario versus a practice scenario where a defender can actually can actually hit the quarterback so i think he does he does play in very very limited snaps probably like eight to ten depending on on how the series goes, so that's that's what I'm I'm envisioning, and then he obviously won't play in that fourth preseason game, and then and then then we uh, go Tampa Bay yeah. week one. Yeah. Yep. Right. Um. So one of the big positions it's it's up for grabs in in playing time is running back. So you know we're, we're they're getting back Jarek McKinnon, you know who never played a meaningful snap for him last year with the ACL tear. They bring in Tevin Coleman and Matt Breda proved to be you know. Like the perfect running back for Shanahan's uh, rushing attack, um, and they got Raheem Mostert. Do you think they end up carrying five running backs if you throw Kyle Juszczyk in there, or do you think this is the year kind of let, they let Mostert walk? No, I I, I think a hundred percent Mostert makes the team. I think they do keep the five running backs if you include Juszczyk, and I think they suit up all five on on game days. Mostert is they brought him back on a three year deal this off season. I think he's way too valuable on special teams and then showed last year that that he can run the ball a little bit in this in this system which I I think if Kyle Shanahan had his druthers that Mostert would never touch the ball then it would be all Brita Coleman and, and McKinnon uh, but I, I I do think they keep all five of those guys including use check and I think they all suit up on game days and I think that they'll each have uh, roles in the offense. I think they all get touches aside from Mostert, who I think goes back to his, his mainly special teams role. And that obviously changes if there are any injuries or anything like that, but uh, they're just, they're, there's too much talent there to just start letting guys go. And, and use checks obviously way too valuable to the offense to let him walk. And they wanted Mostert back or, or they would have let him go in free agency. So um, yeah, five, five running backs is a lot, but, if, if if they're all contributing, and, and I think they will because of, of their ability to do all sorts of different things, like Shanahan's going to have the ability this year with, with uh, Kittle, the three running backs, um, use check, Jalen Hurd, 
to throw like the same personnel out and give like a 11 look, a 21 look and a 12 look in three different snaps with the same personnel group on the field, Mm -hmm. which is, I think really what he wants. Like if, if he had it his way, he'd have 11 guys who could play all 11 spots (laughs) and just, (laughs) and just vary that, uh, each down. So I, I think that's what he's going towards. And I think that roster, that iteration of the roster with, with the, the four running backs and use check, uh, allows them to to get close to that. Yeah, and this is where you know, uh, come cut days, they can get kind of creative, or even you know, <clears throat> example, Jalen Hurd may not be ready. You can get him on pup. McKinnon can may not be ready. Get him on pup, or you know, where they can return. You know, week six and gives you some time to, you know, you can you you can yeah. keep certain. You know, you can keep players, and God forbid you get any injuries, and you have those guys waiting in the wings. Um, it's kind of where I was, you know, with the Jalen Hurd thing. You know, if he's <clears throat> not ready for the season or you can categorize him as a tight end or however you want to put it so that way you can carry a certain amount of running back and everything else on the team because five running backs is a lot so that means you're, you're missing somebody you're losing something somewhere else um when you carry that many running backs so that's where i that's gonna be interesting once that final cut day comes up and they're trying to you know figure out who's staying who's not staying what are we doing with mckinnon and mckinnon and hurd and you know who else may have some type of be banged up from um, from training camp going forward. Yeah, I think I I think where they're gonna probably lose lose some numbers is is it tight end. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They have like four guys who I think are capable tight ends, but I think they wind up probably keeping two because of Hurd's potential versatility there, and then and then Uzcheck's versatility there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think that's probably a, a spot they trim from. Um, and then, and then we might see him do the same on, on the defensive side. I'm not, I'm, we'll, we'll have to see at camp what, what snaps look like and who's taking snaps with what units and, and get a better, get a better view of how they, of how they, they see certain positions. But I, I absolutely think, um, if I'm, if I'm putting money on it, I'm, I'm definitely putting money on those, those four running backs all making the club. And then obviously you just check to go along with them. I'm completely with it just cause it seemed like last year Brady was having to play through injuries when he mm-hmm. wasn't healthy and they, they keep all four guys, if somebody's banged up with an ankle, sit him for a week. Let's get somebody else suited up and they can just right. keep on trucking. Um, yeah, they. I, I don't think they want to dip into their practice squad again to find running backs. Right. No. Not. No. Just no. <laughs> no. Um, anyway, <laughs> cornerbacks. So we'll move on to cornerbacks. Um, so, you know, there's two starters that are pretty well entrenched. And, and you've got Richard Sherman and you've got Kwan Williams in the nickel spot. The other outside corner spot's pretty wide open, and obviously the two main contenders are going to be Akella Witherspoon and Jason Verrett. So what are you looking forward to when you see that camp battle coming up? I'm looking forward to Akella Witherspoon playing like the 49ers think he can yep. because I think he got a little bit comfortable last year knowing that he had a starting job, and I don't think he got better, and I think he actually got markedly worse as we kind of all saw throughout the year. He got better toward the end of the season, and then he hurt his knee right as he started to play well. That was unfortunate mm-hmm. for him. But I think it's if I understand the appeal of Jason Verrett, like a former first round pick who made a Pro Bowl in his only full season, but the guy's played twenty five games in five years. Like that's just that's not somebody that that you can really rely on going into camp. And like it would be great if he's healthy and and he plays sixteen games and he's playing at a high level. Like that'd be great for the 49ers and it'd be great for him personally. But I'm really looking forward to see Akella Witherspoon emerges the player that they think could be the heir apparent to Richard Sherman because I think he has the talent to do that. I think he has a skill set to do that. 
he just didn't last year and and, and he's he struggled pretty badly so I think he's better than than what we saw I think there's another level for him to go up from what we saw at really his peak in his rookie year so that's that's what I'm looking forward to and obviously like I said I'm, I'm personally really rooting for Jason Verrett just because of what he's gone through in his career mm-hmm. uh to 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 see a guy play one full season in in five years and then come back and earn a starting job and and play at a high level for a team that that should probably contend for a playoff spot it would be a pretty cool story so um I'll, I'll be I'll be looking forward to that but my my hopes aren't super high that that Verrett's going to play 16 games. Yeah, that's that's where I'm leaning with Red. I, I'm I'm fully on board with the Akello potential and um, having a small dis- having a discussion with Colbert. He was telling me some things about what happened last year with with Akello. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, there's things. It's I think Akello is is going to get the, the CB two spot, and then I think this is where Verrett can make an impact on this team by being a depth piece and beating out like guys like Greg Maben um, and taking you know being in line, just, you know, in a pinch where you need somebody out there. Um, you know, corners get hurt just like running backs. They're always getting banged up and twisting their ankles, you know, spraining their knee. You know, we saw that last year with the Niners secondary. They didn't finish a game once with the same secondary as they started. So yeah. um, keeping a guy like that available um, and allowing him to recover um, more from his Achilles. You heard Richard Sherman say it. He said he felt better once that what, week – 12 he said he started feeling more like himself and then you saw it against the Giants you know where he's making open field tackles against Saquon Barkley one of the most shiftiest guys in the league so um I think he may I think Verrett makes the makes the team but I don't think he's gonna start but you know come you know week 10 11 12 he may be getting his feet under him again and you know you have something if the Niners are in the playoff hunt you have you have a, a veteran presence and someone who can make some plays so I'm all for Verrett and beating out guys like Maven things like that yeah, and I think the move of more to safety, I know they said it was because of injuries in the secondary or at safety, but the fact they didn't commit to him moving back to corner right away once Jimmy Ward returned said a lot to me about where they foresee him fitting in on the roster. And that also signals to me that they're pretty confident in what Witherspoon, what Witherspoon is going to bring to the table for them this year. Uh, at that outside corner spot like I said Verrett's great but there's there's no way they're relying on him there's no way they would move more and say hey that's we're gonna move him because we have Jason Verrett I think they moved him because they know that Witherspoon is gonna be a high quality player for them this year so uh, that's that's what I'm I'm looking forward to seeing yeah likewise and you know he finished the season strong before he got hurt he was he was playing much better um there's a a, a player on the 49ers team that has you know, Niners Twitter or just Niners fans um, at odds usually, and that's Solomon Thomas. Um, you know, the, he's we all know what happened to him last year with his family, um, which is very unfortunate. And you know, some guys recover, some guys handle things a little bit differently than others. And um, there's a lot of hype with Solomon Thomas. He's working out with Aaron Donald. He looks like he'd be in great shape. His teammates are saying he's in a better mental space. Are we buying the hype on Solomon Thomas? Can I can I get it? But just like, can I get a sample of it? Like, do I have to buy all the hype? <laughs> you trying to you hedge your bets? You go to a brewery and they're like, you want to taste that? And they give you like a little shot of beer. Like, I want, I want that. Um, <laughs> that's, hey, I mean, that's fair. Is that because I mean, here's here's the deal. He like, is he ever gonna perform like a number three overall pick? I don't think so. Yeah, because it's it's 
it's he's not going to do so on the edge and it's really hard to be a super high impact player on the interior and if he was going to be he would have shown it at some point in his career and he just hasn't yeah but on the other hand I think that he can be a like rotational player and when you look at the defensive line the Eagles rode to the Super Bowl a couple years ago they didn't have necessarily one guy who really stood out above the rest. They were just so deep. It was just all game long for four quarters. They were throwing guys in there that stayed fresh who could who could get after the quarterback. And I think that if Solomon Thomas is playing a handful of snaps a game as a rotational guy, mostly inside, I think that's where he's going to be most effective. And you're giving him a chance to play situationally where he knows it's just pin your ears back and go get the quarterback. If he's bigger, stronger, and in a better mental place, I don't, I don't see a reason that he can't go be an effective player on the interior. Is he ever going to be? Is anyone ever going to look at that draft and go, Solomon Thomas was the right pick at number three? No, uh, no, I don't no. think so. Especially yeah. with what we saw from Patrick Mahomes last year, and um, I, I, that's just that's never going to happen. It, I mean, it might. You can't ever say never, but chances are that's not going to happen. Mm. So. I, I, I do think, though, that he's going to be in a better position this year to succeed. And I think succeeding for him is just being a, a rotational player who goes and gets five or six sacks and, and rushes the quarterback a handful of times a game and, and is able to, to make his mark that way. So I'm, man, I I hated this. I don't want to say hate. I strongly disliked the Solomon Thomas pick when it happened. Yeah. I was all in on Jamal Adams. I saw safety as a giant need. I didn't want to draft a third a consecutive, you know, defensive interior guy. I wasn't about the pick. I was all about Jamal Adams. Now I see Jamal Adams be so damn good. It's <laughs> it's frustrating. Um, I'm the bad cop on this one. I'm not buying the hype. And I, I sure. feel like this is typical offseason jargon. You got to talk somebody up. You know, this is the he's in the best shape of his life tweet. You know, take a drink. We see him so many times in the offseason where – Guys coming in training get best shape of their life. This we're gonna be any production the 49ers get out of Solomon Thomas for me is found money. Cause I'm coming in with zero expectations. If he gets five sacks, that's like I found twenty dollars in a pair of jeans I wore last week. You know, that's just yeah, that's where I'm at with, with Solomon Thomas. Cause I think he's I think he's the sixth best player when you look at the defensive line. Cause I think okay. you got your starting four, and I'm I'm really high on well, I guess fifth best player because I'm really high on. Wait, no, six. Okay, I go back six because you got Nick Bosa, <laughs> D Ford, DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead, DJ Jones, and then I think you slot in Solomon Thomas at six. I can't count, you know, math for Marines. Sure. Yeah, Are, you work for me. Are you drinking? Are you drinking? Sheldon Day on there? You know, I like Sheldon Day, but I also think he's one of the guys on the outside looking in because um, okay. I think they're going to want to go. I know he's really young. He's only like 26 years old. Yeah, but I, I still think we're going to see guys like Contavious Street. And I think they want to give Julian Taylor another shot at sure. at moving in. Um, so maybe Day, maybe T- I, but yeah, I got Solomon Thomas ranked at six because I really like DJ Jones. I'm really high on DJ yeah. Jones, actually. Yeah, and 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 maybe that's the case. But with with Thomas, it's never been an effort thing yeah. or or a, is he in shape thing. I mean, he dealt with with something that affected him like really personally last year, and so that's something that that is not typical. That's something that, and right. and I would totally agree with you if it was just like, man, he came into training camp fat last year and never really got in shape. That'd be one thing, but he he dealt with something that's so that's so that's such an uh, I, I don't want to I don't want to 
diminish it by calling it an outlier thing, but mm-hmm. it's such a unique, uniquely horrible thing that happened to him right. that I'm I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt for now. Um, but again, it wouldn't surprise me if a genie from the future came back and said, hey, Solomon Thomas was super ineffective. He played 25% of the snaps this year and couldn't get on the field in the fourth quarter. That wouldn't surprise me. But given the fact that he was the third pick, there is some modicum of talent there that, that has not yet been tapped. Mm-hmm. I think if it's ever going to happen, I think it's I think it's this year. And I think his ceiling is, like I said, just kind of an effective rotational guy. And, and I, I think he gets there. Yeah, you know, with Solomon, you, they they try to put a you know a square peg into a round hole. It just it playing him on the edge when he clearly was an interior defensive rusher, but that was also because of lack of depth on the team. So, you know, they didn't they didn't have that other edge guy. So you had you played him at those edge positions in, in games that you know he shouldn't have been playing out there. He, you saw him thrive and be more disruptive inside next to DeForest Buckner or next to Eric Armstead. And that that's where he's going to strive the most. Um, I'm, 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 I'm like you, uh, Kyle, I'm give me just a shot of the beer. Um, <laughs> I don't want the pint, you know, I, I'll even take the six pack of the shots of beer. You know what I mean? I'll, I'll go a step further. You know what I mean? Like a six some, pack of shots of beer. That's they awesome. do that at the yard house. I don't know if you've ever been there, but yeah. Um, a little, uh, oh, you're getting, that, a you're getting a flight. You're getting a flight of beer. Flight. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Those things okay. are dope. Give me the Solomon Thomas flight. Yeah, right, give, me, give me the Solomon Thomas <laughs> flight of beer. And uh, I think the Niners just, they had, they, again, I've always been on the mindset of this, a four-year rebuild. First year, you wanted a, a high-character guy, and they got that with Solomon. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, I, I was on the, the, the train of Jamal Adams as well and, and or Derek Barnett. Those, those were my two. Um, I'm a big Derek Barnett guy. Yeah, Barnett was amazing in the SEC, and you know, I, I, that's here. You know, that's long. That's three years ago now, and he's torn his ACL. So, um, with with so Solomon, be a perfect 49er. Yeah, he would have been a perfect Niner, right? Everyone would have spazzed the hell out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it goes back to the night. You know, he played out of position the first two years, and that's because of depth. They had issues with the edge rusher. You know, you you got to be better than Cassius Marsh. The whole that whole spiel, um, and it didn't help him. And then you're moving around. And that was the issue with the Niners defense last five years. You're moving guys around that don't fit or they're just, they're never getting used to one position, i.e. a Jimmy Ward or i.e. you know, Tavarius Moore, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to, you know, make these guys multifaceted when they don't need to be, keep them in one spot and let them go. Um, So I think if they're going to go forward with Solomon Thomas, at least this year and next year, move him inside, play him next to DeForest Buckner, um, I don't think Eric Armstead's long for this team. I do. I would like for him to be re-signed if he has another great year. Um, but you know that comes down to dollars. You know, so keeping Solomon next to the forest, then you have your two edge guys with a Bosa and and D Ford, and then you know I'm I'm on the train of Sheldon Day. Sheldon Day did get the the first team reps in in OTAs at the nose, so we'll see what's going on there. But I'm with you guys, Matt and and Kyle on the you know I think Solomon's probably the fifth or sixth best guy on that defensive line. Yeah, and I think that's how it's going to flush out this year. But I think that the sixth best guy on that defensive line can still can still contribute. Yeah, and, and that's 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 going into camp. That's where I'm at. If he doesn't have a productive camp, that'll obviously change quite a bit. And then you know, like you said, I the Eagles when they won their Super Bowl, they had a rotation of eight or nine guys. So I'm I'm perfectly fine with rotating 
eight or nine guys. You keep those guys fresh, they're going to get to the quarterback, and you have a multitude of guys getting five, six, seven sacks. We're not just one guy's having 20. You know, we there was a Matt put up a stat the other day of, of Aaron Donald. He had half the team sacks. So, you know, having an offensive line not knowing where it's going to come from is what I like to see, where it's like, okay, who do we have to really, really focus on? Of course, you have your DeForest Buckner, and you got your D4. We don't know what, but we know what Bosa is, kind of, but next level, the NFL level is different. Um, so I'm, I'm all about the rotation in Solomon. Hopefully, you know, he gives us five, six, seven sacks, you know, a couple TFLs, a forced fumble, something, or he's just really good against the run. That'd be great. This wide nine scheme is susceptible to big run plays. If he can stuff the run on the interior, you know, beating guards and getting in the backfield, that's going to be helpful. Yep, absolutely. So, Kyle, the 49ers seems like they produce guys that just, like, ball out in the preseason and they just get cut because everybody realizes they're succeeding against dudes that are going to be bagging groceries next week. Right. So who is this year's Marcus Rush, Corey Sheets, just guy that just balls out in the preseason and everybody pines for him to be on the team? But it's just, it's just not, it's just not meant to be. I think it's. I'm not familiar enough with the roster yet to have the answer off the top of my head. Stand by. Uh, Austin Walter, the running back out of Rice, I think is going to be. He's a, a undrafted guy, five uh, eight, two hundred and two pounds. Did a little bit of everything at Rice. I I absolutely think that he's going to get a ton of snaps in the preseason because McKinnon probably won't play much. And they're going to want to make sure that Brita and Coleman stay healthy. Uh, Austin Walter is going to be is going to be the guy this year, and I, I think he's going to mm. score touchdowns on the ground. I think he's going to do it through the air. And at some point, there's going to be the discussion on 49ers Twitter of like, "Wow, this guy can do everything. Why don't they keep him?" <laughs> like that, I, I I think that's definitely definitely happening. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I that that kid. I I watched some of his rice tape and. He's like a, what's the a muscle hamster? That's what he looks like. He he bounces off people. He's like a kid can run. And see, and, the, see, and the, the Doug Martin comparisons yep. are going to be there. Like that's that's definitely happening. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> hey, uh, I'm all I'm all for it. I, I trust Kyle and his running back uh, evaluations. I mean, he did find yeah. Matt Breida, and um, right. you know the the discussion going into the first year, there's like, is Matt Breida better than Carlos Hyde? I was skeptical. Yes. And then I saw the Giants game where he took off. I was like, okay, maybe yeah, he is. Good. Yeah, he's really good. Um, the the other guy, the other guy I have circled is Sean Poindexter, an undrafted mm-hmm. receiver out of Arizona, six five two eighteen. I'm high so on I Sean. A, I had a I had a buddy who was a graduate assistant uh, on the for the Arizona football team when Poindexter got there, and I asked him about about him, and he said that he didn't play much football. And he was a volleyball player who was just tall and super athletic. So Arizona kind of took a flyer on him. And he developed super quickly. I think he had like 11 touchdowns or something last year. Uh, he was he was really, really productive in his, in his last year in college. And he's huge. He, he's going to really stand out on the field. I, I could foresee him catching a couple of touchdowns, maybe going up and getting a couple of jump balls. He jumps super high. And and. Just like all it really takes for those guys is like one or two like splashy highlight plays mm-hmm. to to really get people talking, and I could see him making a couple of plays like that in the preseason, and uh, and, and catching everybody's eye. Yeah, uh, he's I, I th- he's going to be a practice squad guy if if anything, but 
Um, I, I think Sean Poindexter is going to get some attention. I mean, he did. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. He, it was 11 touchdowns and 759 yards on 42 receptions. So he yeah. has a big playability, 18 yards, you know, per reception. So yeah, Poindexter is the guy I'm hoping they stash on the practice squad. I've had my eye on him a little bit too, yeah. and I'm really excited because, like you said, he's so raw and he just doesn't play football, or he didn't really play football coming into college and stuff. And I always think those guys are super interesting because their body also hasn't taken a beating for four years in high school. So, right. you Absolutely. know, they come in with a little, little bit fresher legs. And I think, like I said, I'm excited. Um, so I got one last question. Yeah. We're going to come down to the quarterbacks. So Jimmy Garoppolo obviously slates in at a starter. Nick Mullins, it seems like he's pretty well ingrained at the backup. What are the 49ers end up doing with CJ Beathard? Is he traded? Is he cut? What do you think happens with him? Um, <laughs> it's funny you word it like that. I think Beathard winds up making the team yep. over Mullins. Same. And Ooh. Yeah, I I think they're just because not it, not everything that that we saw in those games. I don't I don't think those those games that Nick Mullins played. I don't think that if you plug in Bethard, those games go much differently. And it's did did Mullins put up a ton of numbers in Seattle, yeah, but he was also atrocious for most of that game. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Uh, that game in Tampa Bay coming off the bye was an inexcusable loss uh, against, uh, I shouldn't say loss, an inexcusable performance against the worst or second worst pass defense in the league, and Mullins was atrocious. So I I think they truly are going in with a clean slate this year. The Niners are obviously high on Beathard. They used a third-round pick on him. Mm-hmm. They have way more invested in him. And he's just a more physically talented quarterback. And these these battles are won really more in practice than they are in preseason games. And I think Beathard is just going to practice better. I think I think he is, pound for pound, the better quarterback. Despite the massive production Nick Mullins put up last year, I think, I think Beathard is going to emerge as the better player. And whether that means they wind up keeping three quarterbacks or trading... Mullins to Denver, where Rich Scangarello is now the mm. the offensive coordinator. Yep. Um, I mean, maybe they just cut him and hope that they can stash him on the practice squad. I don't think that winds up happening because no. there are so many Shanahan clones who could who could use him as a backup. And there's Nathan Peterman's in the league, so right, exactly. <laughs> um, so I think I think if they don't trade him, I think they try and stash Mullins on the practice squad. And I'm not sure how successful they'll be in doing that. It's going to be hard to sneak him on the practice squad. Like you said, there's guys out there. You got the coach for the Bengals. You know, they could probably use a backup. You got the um, Packers. You know, they maybe they don't care for what's his yeah, face. Yeah, Matt LaFleur. Yeah, Matt LaFleur. He's there. With, and you have that connection. And then, of course, Nick Scangarello. You know, we just heard uh, Fangio say that um, what's his face? Uh, Drew Locke isn't, you know, NFL ready just yet. You know, he, you know, he kind of threw him under the yeah. bus. So, you know, there may be something there where, you, you know, you, the Broncos may carry three quarterbacks as opposed to two. Um, and the Packers, you know, you have Matt LaFleur with Aaron Rodgers. And then, you know, Aaron Rodgers' injury history. And I don't think they trust the kid from Notre Dame. I, I forgot his name already. but Kaiser. Uh, yeah. You, you've seen Kaiser play. It was terrible. It was, it was hideous. Um, I'm, I'm with you, man. I think I think Mullins doesn't make the team. I think CJ's going to make the team. And I think um, it is because... CJ can CJ does have the bigger arm. He's a little bit more mobile. It's just the the processing with CJ is what irritates me the most. It's like get yeah. rid of the 
we haven't cursed once this whole podcast. I'm, I'm going to try not to say anything. Uh, <laughs> get rid of the damn ball. So, you know, there's there were so many times in, in, you know, the Arizona game where he's holding it, and here comes Chandler Jones' fumble. And it happened repeatedly over and over. He would just take a sack. It's cool to be tough, man, but get rid of the damn ball. Like, yeah, that's the issue with with Nick with um, CJ Beathard. You know, I would I'd be happy with when Tannehill was released from Miami. I'm like, just go grab Tannehill as a backup. Jesus Christ! Like, I don't want to deal with CJ Beathard anymore. And I'm not I'm not trying to be a dick or anything, but Jesus. <laughs> we it's made so it 55 minutes, Javi. So 55 minutes it, is such a clean listen, podcast. Kyle, I don't think you understand. I see CJ Beathard in pictures, <laughs> and the way he the, the the way he just holds the ball like super high above his number. He doesn't look like he's like fully coordinated yet to throw a pass. And I'm like, what is, what is this? And I I'm a Penn State fan, so I watched a lot of Iowa football, and I saw him take a whole bunch of hits at Iowa. And you know, people were like, well, how come George Kittle was taken in the fifth round? One reason, CJ Beathard. There's a reason they didn't pass at Iowa, and that's. That's what it is. So I'm not on the CJ train, but if he's going to be on the team, I guess I need to be on the CJ train, and I'm frustrated now. Hey, do you know who is on the CJ train? Kyle Shanahan. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, so, um, yeah, that luckily, ho- hopefully for the 49ers, whoever their backup quarter is, quarterback is won't matter this year. Yeah, that's the hope. Boy 16. Yeah. That's the hope because I, I can't deal with another – C.J. Beathard five games in a row. I can't do it. I can't do it. I'll make sure to check on you if it happens. Oh, please do. I, I just <laughs> it's so frustrating to watch. I'm not, you know, I I, I shouldn't be super critical. I, I'm not an NFL quarterback. I don't understand. I mean, I understand certain things, but I'm not that gifted to be playing NFL football. You know what I mean? But at some point, think you you can see the difference. Nick Mullins operated at a little at a different pace than C.J. Beathard did, but C.J. just has a little bit more talent as far as arm talent and more bit mobi- mobility whereas Nick Mullins it's a little bit more difficult for him to make those out those deeper passes the out throws things like that yeah and that's where the, the limitations with his with his arm strength are, are ultimately are going to be Mullins downfall I think he just can't make all the throws and and, and I think that's what it's going to come down to yeah I just think 49ers Twitter is going to erupt evolve into anarchy well there's one there's one Niners writer who thinks that Nick Mullins is better than Jimmy Garoppolo so <laughs> he's also the same one that was questioning me covering the 49ers say, because a, I wasn't in OTAs but you know camp, so you know whatever oh I'm God. sure you'll see him down there at training camp um well hey Kyle thank you so much for joining us this was this was a ton of fun this is kind of a, one of our longer episodes and I know we've we tried to balance all the time zones and everything and we got all our wires crossed so thank <laughs> you so much for joining us uh go ahead and plug yourself again my man yeah, guys, anytime. Uh, you can find me on the Candlestick Chronicles podcast with Chris Biederman. Uh, you can also check me out at NinersWire.com. Uh, just content going up there every day from news to analysis and opinion stuff. So uh, check it out. Cool. We thank you again, Kyle. And uh, here at Fourth and Gold Podcast, check us out on Twitter at Fourth and Gold Pod. Matt, go ahead and plug your Twitter, man. You're more busy than I am on that thing. Yeah, yeah, at MattBar underscore. You know, the underscore is never going away. It's just there to stay, guys. <laughs> and then you can catch me at JavierVague underscore as well. Um, season's almost here, guys. Training camp opens up in a couple days. And uh, let us know what you're thinking, what's going on in 49er land. No more arguing, please. The season's almost here. Um, but again, Kyle. Which means there's going to be more arguing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's so much more arguing. I, you know, I shouldn't even say it like that. Every 
every team's Twitter going nuts. I've, I've been following some Eagles Twitter and some Cowboys Twitter just to see what's going on. Everyone's going nuts. So it's uh, it's not just us. We're just we are we live in our own timelines. But if you look at other other teams' timelines, it's uh it's a little hectic over there too. So it's it's normal. But relax. Season's almost here. Uh, but until next time, we we'll see you on on uh, on another episode of Fourth and Gold. Peace.